0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio
1: app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB Public Media app.
2: Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back, horticulturist Felder Rushing, and we're gonna, we're just talking about gardening. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on out there, a lot of, a lot of weirdness, usually the to bugs and blights, and whether it's your lawn or your flowers or your vegetables or even your potted plants. So I know there's a lot of questions out there. I just go by Felder and, uh, my awesome host, Java Chapman. Java? How you doing this morning, man?
1: Man, I'm all right, man. Hanging in there. Uh, still hearing all the fireworks from from Fourth of July. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, it's just an amazing thing. And, and I, you know, I know from from all the stuff I see online, a lot, a lot of people are really concerned about their dogs. And you know, dogs are scared of fireworks. I, I get that, but you know, this is just something we're going to shoot some stuff off
1: yeah it's not it's nothing to be you know said or done about it. It's just it just is what it is but i mean you know
2: it is what it is <laughs> yeah so uh, anyway,
1: your kids doing okay this summer? Yeah, yeah, everything's going good. We actually um, started swim lessons, so that's a that's our latest our latest adventure. I would uh, you know em- employ everyone if you do not know how to swim, it's an essential life skill. The earlier the better, but it's never too late. Um, we actually I actually saw an adult getting swim lessons like right alongside my uh my young ones. So it's never too late to learn.
2: No, plus it feels kind of good, too. I I don't know if you knew, but uh, back when I was in high school, I had several part-time jobs. I I delivered the newspaper, the Jackson Daily News in the afternoon after school. uh, worked at Boy Scout Camp a couple of summers, all summer as a counselor. Drove a snow cone truck. I was also an assistant lifeguard at our city pool. Don't don't know if you knew all that stuff.
1: No, that's pretty cool, man.
2: Well, yeah, it was okay, except it was hot sitting up there, and, uh, that's, I think that's where I got my permanent squint from the water reflection <laughs> on, on. People wonder why I wear sunglasses all the time, because I, I, you know, I was raised in the Delta in the summer, staring at water. So, anyway, it's a whole lot of stuff going on, uh, job. A lot of people have got, i have got questions concern. concerns. I keep up with a lot of it, even though I'm overseas. I, I'm still in England. I uh, just finished my third flower show of, of my, my trip over here, and, um, uh, you know, a lot of people don't, don't realize, but England has got many more flower shows than just the Chelsea show. Uh, I mean, there's, uh, you know, there, there's the Chatsworth show, the Chelsea show, the, uh, Hampton Court show, the Southport show, the Chorley show, the Harlow Carr show. And I go go to all of them. And my favorite one of all, well, my favorite big one, the Royal Horticulture Society puts on the great big ones. Um, uh, but the, my favorite of the, the RHS show gardens is the one called Hampton Court. and a matter of fact, it's going on right now, but it's, it's big, it's sprawling, it's got hundreds and hundreds of gardens and exhibits. It's so much more interesting than the Chelsea show, which everybody holds up. You know, Chelsea is all about designer skills and people showing off what they can do. Uh, I call it, instead of horticulture, I call it haughty culture, because it's really putting on the airs. Uh, where the Hampton Court Show is is aimed towards real people. Uh, it's been going on for 30 years. Matter of fact, I was at the the very first Hampton Court Royal Hampton Court Flower Show back in 1993. Uh, but it, it has stuff that people can do. Things, you, ideas you can take on. Water garden ideas, seating ideas, a raised bed combination of the flowers and herbs and vegetables. They have a special area. For children where where our elementary school classrooms get together and collaborate on on little projects that kids can do this year it was in uh, uh trash cans, regular what well, they call dust bins over here, but regular trash cans with all sorts of accessories and plants and things stuck to them it's just incredible what kids have come up with doing in a trash can, so you know that's the kind of ideas that I really like about the Hampton Court Show. I got a couple of other things to share about that, but uh, we're here to talk about gardening with gardeners. And we're going to slide up to South Haven and talk with Rebecca. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you for calling.
3: Good morning, Felder. So glad you're on the air
2: today.
3: I listened to you last week and I had this, you mentioned this plant that I guess I knew it was out there, but I didn't know anything about them growing in Mississippi. And I don't know if it's a perennial or a shrub or a tree. You called it a tea plant. You said it was yeah. at the Ag Museum.
2: Well, what a Yeah, I just planted what this. Well, you know, Camellia uh, japonica has the big flowers in the in the winter time, and Camellia sasanqua has pretty. Good size, real showy in the fall. Well, there's, there's several other camellia plants, but the one they call the tea tea camellia is Camellia sinensis, which basically means Chinese. Uh, and it's, it's a, a, a small, medium, well, it's a small, uh, some medium sized shrub, sort of like a Camellia sisequa, has small flowers about the size of a quarter, a little bit bigger in the fall. They're usually white, sometimes they're pink, but, uh, all the tea in China is made from the leaves of Camellia sinensis. It's just a chameleon. So it grows just like a a fall-blooming sassanqua. And um, as long as you have a good wide hole and plenty of mulch to keep the roots cool and keep the worms active, it's really, really easy to grow. And it's, it's not a showy plant because the flowers are kind of small, but still easy to grow. And You can make your own tea. Well, that sounds cool because that's the
3: main grocery item. Every time we go, we got to buy more tea.
2: But, um, (laughs) uh, uh, I I tell you, if you go online, I don't have their, their, uh, I don't, I don't have their. Uh, their email address, but I interviewed uh, a guy named Don, who's one, uh, he and his partner founded this big, big tea company down in Popperville. But they have recipes, and basically when you plant this, and you can buy the plants, but when you plant them, it's the the little tiny new leaves uh, that they make tea out of, not the older stuff. So what you they do is they prune them back, and when they put out a bunch of new growth, the real tender new stuff, they snip that off and you chop it up, And you dry it, and depending on how you dry it, how long you dry it, stuff like that. Whether it makes green tea or brown tea, or whether it's flavored with other stuff to make, you know, different kind of tea. But it's the it's the new growth. So they shear them, and then harvest the new growth, which just makes new growth. and that's all it is to it.
3: Well, at our house, we have utter fits with camellias. Uh, We we've bought maybe six or eight camellia plants, and every one of them died. We thought one of them came back up from the roots. We thought we had it, and then that died. And I'm like, oh, we have to keep
2: buying. Well, here well, he, he, here's here's the thing about it. camellia. Uh, it's cold uh, cold sensitive. You know, you get up into Tennessee and they get uh, a lot of damage. In North Miss we have camellia plants that my great grandmother planted almost a century ago in the 1930s that are still blooming the trick is they need a wide hole not too much stuff added to native dirt but you know a nice wide hole add a little bit of bark or compost or something to kind of loosen up a little bit and then when you pull the plant out of the pot loosen up its potting soil and roots so they get started in that in the new dirt real quick and as long as you've got a mulch to maybe up against a uh, uh, east or uh, south facing walls, so they don't get the cold winter wind, they should do fine. So, mostly a matter of digging a wide hole, loosen up the roots. Okay, well, we'll
3: try it again, maybe one time. Okay, <laughs> thank you very okay,
2: much. Okay, Rebecca, you bet you appreciate it. Um, and by the way, folks, I know they grow up fine because the, the uh, the Dixon Botanic Garden up in Memphis, uh, the uh, uh, Memphis that have, they've got camellias, but they're kind of in a protected place. And again, it's all about wide roots, not shallower, not, not deep roots. So anyway, let's slide down to Octavia County. Bob's calling from Startville. What's up, Bob?
4: How you doing, Felder? I was, uh, I read an article this morning that said the best time to divide irises was uh, mid to late summer. I divide them at a different time. What's your take on that?
2: Well, irises and daylilies and cannas are probably the three most forgiving uh, perennials you can have. You can divide them while they're in full bloom. I mean, I, I go to, I work with iris society, daylily society, not a canna society, as far enough. The, but uh, they're really, really durable because they're almost like succulents. As long as you don't, you know, get a a, a big, you know, little, as long as you don't divide it too small, you can move them even in the summertime. Uh, the, the big problem is. Uh, in the summertime, a young plant needs a little extra water, but it's real easy to overwater and to rot them. So anyway, iris is almost a succulent. You know, you can cut the leaves back if you want to or cut them back to a fan, but it's uh, real common for, for iris society people to divide their iris and to share with each other and sell them while they're in bloom. So the main thing is try not to overwater them. And then make sure when you plant that, that rhizome, the top part of that ropey-looking root is baking in the sun. They like to be uh, sticking part ways out of the ground. And if they fall over oh. cut the leaves into a fan, no problem.
4: All right. All right. Can
2: I ask you another question? Oh, heck yeah. Do
4: you know the difference between uh, European nightcrawlers and Canadian nightcrawlers?
2: Uh, is this a joke?
4: No, no. I I I, I <laughs> have tried to order some from Uncle Jim's, and they, they tell me that there's a difference to them. I do not know what that is.
2: You know, this it, it is kind of strange. It, uh, what's really stranger, is the fact that I actually have studied earthworms a lot. I mean, that's really weird. I know it's not something I, you're an av- expert. I, I know you're an yeah, expert. No, 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 I'm not an expert. I'm just curious about them because they're, you know, they're my best buddies out there. And I've got six different kinds in my garden that I know of. Most people don't even know this, but I don't know the difference between Canadian and North American. I, I will say this. A lot of night crawlers that we have in Mississippi are not native. Uh, we, we do have some because the glaciers didn't come quite this far south. Uh, but a lot of the big night crawlers we have, uh, are actually introduced from Europe and let loose by fishermen. And they're all over the place now. The wor- uh, birds will eat the worms and drop the little cocoons all over the place. So a lot of our big night crawlers are actually an invasive species out there. Um, and then we've seen this new Asian jumping worm. And uh, yeah, we have some in Mississippi. But bottom line is, I, I, you know, there's only one really distinct worm that I know about. And if you dig in a really heavy Place all uh, Bob get that You come up with this worm that's kind of an olive green color, and it curl, rolls up like like a like a type of spaghetti noodle, and it has a really funky odor. And uh, that's a down deep kind of worm. And when I when I see those, I'm thinking I need to do a better job of soil prep. Oh,
4: okay. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate you answering my question.
2: Well, I'm, I'm going to go online and look because I'm just curious about stuff like this. It's a crazy thing, but I don't have a real hobby. So I'm going to look up Canadian versus American nightcrawlers. So stay tuned. All right. Okay. Thank you, Dan. Okay. See ya. Okay, Java, that's a new one, man. That's a new one. been asked a lot of stuff, but nope, don't know. Going to look it up horticultures fell to rushing and before we go to this first call of Java, I just found out stuff that made my eyes bleed
1: what happened what you what you <laughs> find out
2: I just said Canadian versus American night crawlers, and there are unbelievable number of sources about it and I didn't have time to read them all but basically our regular what we call night crawlers are five or six inches long Canadians can get ten or twelve inches long whoa and I've got is... those i've got I've got some of those in my garden. I have some that go from my elbow to my wrist. So I didn't know I've got Canadian nightcrawlers, plus the European regular nightcrawlers, plus this green olive color one that's called, um, well, we call it stink bait because you catch catfish with kind of of a funky smell to it. More than I wanted to know. And I... uh, and I want to throw out one little thing before we get calls about the new Asian jumping worm. You know, how worms. I don't know if you noticed this job, but they got this sort of a ring around them, like a turtleneck part ways down their down their body, a thing that goes around them.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know that. No, it's, yeah. it's like a little um, indention or something. Yeah, on the body. I know. It's, well, I know it's, what you're talking uh, about.
2: Uh, yeah. It, it, it's like a belt wrapped around. It. Well, uh, the Asian jumping worms, that belt, that thing that goes around the body, goes all the way around. What others, it's on just part ways around, like a saddle on a horse. Oh, we, okay. We, yeah, yeah. No, we, we need to stop this now. <laughs> stop it now. <laughs> let's, let's yeah, let's go to, to Larry. Wilkinson. There we go. <laughs> hey, Larry, how are you this morning? Calling from Wilkinson County. What's up, man? Y'all got me laughing and thinking this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's I'm a lot of that, weird stuff out there.
0: I'm thinking about that European uh, versus American, and I'm saying, okay, they take a tea break, and we take coffee breaks.
2: <laughs> 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 yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, and By the way, none of those are that good for composting. So what you got going on?
0: Yeah, uh, I got a uh, colored uh, plant. I bought last year and planted it and some others and it came back volunteer after all that freezing stuff from the root. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) and it come up as two instead of one, and that thing got I got some good leaves off and some good eating and uh, that thing got covered with these little bitty small caterpillar looking worms, and I couldn't I drained I couldn't get. I couldn't eliminate them fast enough, so I just cut all the leaves off and the top out of it, and it's sprouting and starting to come back, and I'm wondering
2: how to keep them things out of there. They was eating my plant up. Yeah. Well, there's actually a, a, an easy solution to it, but most people find, kind not of, want to go this much trouble. Isn't it easy? And, uh, by the way, if I don't know if you've noticed. It, uh, okay, let me back up. Collars, and I can grow quite as well over the summertime as they will right. over the the fall or the winter and the spring. So if you can just sort of keep them alive over the summer, that's good. And you can cut them back and they'll branch back out. But I don't know if you've ever noticed there's a white butterfly that flits around the garden. It's just plain old, generic, medium-sized butterfly, but it's white. And it lays eggs on your on collards, cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, all of those kind of things. It lays eggs on them. And those eggs, a little mass of eggs, hatch out into little green worms and they turn it into what looks like a skeleton, nothing but just, just, just strings right. left. Uh, so that's right. it's a larvae of a white butterfly, and the easiest way to present that uh, there's some sprays you can use. There's a spray that they sell at all the garden centers. That's a biological worm spray. It's actually a bacteria that stops caterpillars from feeding. And the nice part about it, it works. And if a bird comes along and eats it, the bird don't get poisoned. So there's a biological worm spray. If you put it on the bottom of the leaves where the where the worms are, that means a spray, not yeah. a dust. But the easiest thing is just get you some some insect netting. You you may have to go on lines where I found mine, but it's just a really lightweight netting, and you put some sticks around in the garden. And put something on the end of the sticks, like a little bottle or a or a wine cork or a tennis ball. Something on the end of the sticks to make it not sharp. And you just drape this this netting over your your crops, and it keeps the butterflies off the plant. And it works like a charm. They do it in Japan. They do it in England. Pretty much everywhere where they've been gardening a long time, they all use insect netting. Works like a charm. Okay,
0: because I had oh, a my story yard. And them things yeah. eat my peaches up, and they was getting more peaches than me, so I just cut the whole thing down.
2: Yeah, well, it's a whole different. There's a whole, you know, all moths and butterflies and flies, for that matter, have got larvae that eats other stuff. Uh, so it's a whole different. Uh, the butterflies, there's moths, and and so many different ones out there. Not much you can do about your peaches. Spray them in insecticides starting uh, when the little peaches start to form, but. Uh, you know, so whole different insect. But when it comes to your garden, netting is the easiest, most commonly used thing on earth. Except for some reason, Mississippians don't use netting. I think it's because Granddaddy didn't. <laughs> All right, but it works. works. Yeah. You what know, like go right. online. You know, check with the check, check with the garden center or co-op they don't have it. Uh, insect netting, uh to get it. Otherwise, you go online and they got all different kinds of meshes. But the, the the most commonly used kind is uh it's bigger than screen. It's real lightweight. You can pick up a uh, hundred yards of it. It's like you got a basketball one. It's really lightweight. But uh, you just stretch out over the plants on some stakes, and whenever you're ready to harvest, just lift it up and harvest.
0: So mosquito netting, like we used to sleep on it when I was a kid out in the swamp, that's what, that's what I do. Yeah,
2: it's, it, well, it's not that fine. It's more like, uh, it's more like the netting like you'd find in a, um, I can't think of, the, the, the holes are, are about a quarter of an inch, quarter to half an inch. It's not a real fine netting. Matter of fact, you can hardly, you, you can hardly see it from a few feet away. So it's, uh, it's got a bigger mesh than, uh, than mosquito netting.
0: So the co-op would know what I want, an insect netting.
2: Yeah, it's just okay. its just called insect netting. They may not c- carry it because people don't come in asking for it, but you go to a right. garden center anywhere else and they all got it. So anyway, it's a real lightweight netting, and it works like a charm. You can use it over and over and over.
0: Yeah, the only netting we ever used was on our figs back when I was a kid.
2: It's kind of keep a lightweight bird. net. I mean, it, the holes are pretty good. It's the same stuff. Bird netting will keep a butterfly out. So if you can't get insect netting, bird netting will do.
0: Okay. Good. All right. Well, I appreciate you. Y'all,
2: y'all take care. Okay. Okay, Larry. Appreciate your call. Uh, before we go to the next caller uh, job, let me mention this. It's kind of weird. I went to a, an, an old botanic garden. It goes back to the 1500s. Uh, it's called the Q, K E W, Q Botanic Garden, Royal Botanic Garden. I've been doing it a whole bunch of times, different seasons. I was looking at some of the different things that they have displays. And I spent some time in that in the little area where the horticulture students, we're talking about the college students who study horticulture, they have an area set aside where every one of them has assigned a bed. It's about four feet wide, maybe 20 feet long. It's about, maybe a little bit, about 100 square feet. And you cannot graduate from that Kew Botanic Garden horticulture program unless you've grown a garden. And they put a sign with your picture and all about you at the end of the row so people know whether you can garden or not. But anyway, I enjoyed that. But I was taking some pictures. (laughs) Java, this is so crazy. I was taking some pictures of flowers, and behind me, heard a couple of women walk by. One of them said something in a distinct Mississippi dialect. She said to the other, what's your favorite color green? And I... I knew I heard, so without any turning around, I said, John Deere Green. And these women stopped, and they stared at me, and they said, where are you from? Long story short, they're from Lexington, from Holmes County, and, and one of their mothers is a uh, master gardener from Madison.
1: <laughs> and y'all came across each other at the Kew Garden in in uh, yeah. overseas. Yeah.
2: Yeah, in, in London. But it only because I just happened to her, what's your favorite color, green? I'm thinking, that's a weird color because there's so many different. And I, I said, before I, I said, John Deere green. <laughs> Ended up taking a selfie from Mama just to prove it.
1: That's wild, man. <laughs> so,
2: if, I, if, I'd, if I'd have kept my mouth shut, it would have been okay. But I couldn't help it. What's your favorite color, green? I said, John Deere green. So, anyway, let's, let's go uh, up to Fulton. Rebecca, thank you for holding. How are you today?
5: Doing great. How are y'all?
2: So far, so good. What's up?
5: Well, I've got a question for you, and I think maybe you might have answered part of this before, and I missed missed part of the the answer. Um, I'm having problems. I'm not sure if it's bowls or moles, but we're having holes in the holes in the dirt, and it's just it's awful. And we we've, we've sprinkled. I mean, my neighbor Uh, in the next apartment, has sprinkled stuff down, but I know it's gone up, but they're just everywhere, and I'm just wondering, just, you know, what to do about it.
2: Well, a couple of things. First of all, the difference. Moles eat worms and grub worms and stuff like that, and they tunnel around just under the ground, so when they they, they leave that tunnel, you know, it's really obvious where it sort of humps up, and so you'll Mm -hmm. see the tunnels going all out in the grass and stuff. Voles... Uh, are little rodents that, that eat pretty much anything, including a lot of plant roots, and they tunnel around, uh, in flower beds and shrub beds and things. They don't, in other words, they don't get out of the lawn to make all those, those tunnels. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, by, and by the way, there's a lot of other things that'll do that too. Uh, uh, toads live in holes. They bury themselves in holes, and it's surprising you when you're watering, the toad pops out. Uh, and also cicadas, when they come out of the ground, they leave a hole the size of your thumb. Yeah, you, know, uh, you, you know all about cicadas, right? I know a little you know, bit
5: you know, about. They make okay. Well, two, you know,
2: years or whatever. Yeah have you Have you ever found a little dried skins that they that the the larvae come out and the adult comes out of that dried skin? Have you ever seen one of those? Yeah. Well, it, it, anyway, that's how big the hole is. It's big enough to stick my thumb in, so it could be just that. But if it's something that's killing your plants and you pull them up and the plants don't have roots on them, that's voles. Unfortunately, we don't really have anything that will control voles. Uh, you can put a uh, mousetrap baited with peanut butter by the hole and put a like a, a flower pot on top of it so it stays dark. And they'll come out of it at night, and sometimes that'll work. But there's no poisons. Uh, they sell all sorts of stuff. But there's nothing truly effective to control voles in a garden. It's really, really not. So I uh, think it might be cicada holes. That might be all it is. But if it's something that eating your plant roots, what they do in botanic gardens, so when they plant a flower bed, they dig the dirt out, put it in a shovel or, or a tarp or something, and they line the bed with this stuff called hardware cloth. It's like half-inch mesh, wire mesh, and they line the beds with that, and they put the dirt back in. Basically, as an underground fence. It's not practical uh, for most home gardeners, but fencing it works just like it does at deer. There's no good repellents. So anyway, need to find out for sure if it is a vole, uh, cause I, I just don't know. There's so many things to leave those holes.
5: Well, I mean, right. Actually, it sounds like we've got more than one thing going on because we, I actually have seen where the mole has dug up and then I've seen the holes. So
2: evidently we've got more yeah. than one thing going on yeah well that's the main difference. The moles tend to they they live in a burrow underground and they make these they'll have like a hallway that's under the ground useless in a protected place and then they go out every day they dig a little side like a like a side uh uh run that they use for feeding so you know if it's moles you'll see the ground kind of humped up you know where they tunnel through the ground and uh if they, if that's it um it's just it's different for moles. I really can't explain it more than that. They do have a trap that, that you can use for moles and the mole trap, the plunger type trap, it actually is the best control there is. And so it takes a little time, a little effort and persistence, but that's the only surefire way. And you'll hear every possible kind of, of folk remedy and home remedy and do this and do that and you put some off. None of that really works for most people. So got to find out what it is first,
5: right? Okay, well, thank you so much. And I just wanted to tell you, um, when Jermaine and uh, Jermaine Flood and and uh, Jay White were up, and the bu- and the whole bunch from MPB were up in in Tupelo for yeah. the Elvis Festival, I got a, a let's get dirty um, a guitar <laughs> um bandana. So, uh, what, yeah,
2: the bandana, yeah, so. <laughs> well, yeah, may- you Maybe you could tie that on a stick and put it out there. Maybe that'll keep them away.
5: <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much.
2: Yeah. I, I wish I could be a more help, but it sounds like what I'm saying is negative, but really, we've got to find out for sure what it is. But thanks for calling, Rebecca. Appreciate you.
1: Well, Felder, it's funny. We were talking about uh, moles and voles on a recent episode of Creature Comforts, and it was said to think about it like this. M is for meat eaters and those are your moles because, you know, they eat the insects, the grubs, the earthworms and yeah. stuff like that. And V is for vegetarian for your voles because they eat the plant <laughs> roots and, uh, and the stems of the plants and stuff like that. So M is for meat eaters and V is for vegetarian moles and voles. You know,
2: it ne- never, surprised me that new stuff that I learned all the time. And I've learned that. And also the in between, between Canadian and American night crawlers. what a day this has been for me. <laughs> anyway, before I go to the next call, I want to ask Java something. Uh, you said they were talking about uh, V for for voles and M for moles. Uh, did they say anything you could do about them?
1: No, I don't. I, don't, I think that was the kind of the general consensus um, that you know it's not a whole lot of solution to those problems when it comes to moles yeah, and voles. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, you know, the, on one hand, you know, they're, they're all about wildlife and I'm all about gardening and the two go back and forth. And they're closely entwined and whether you like to kill things or control them or, or net them out or whatever, we got to have a solution and sometimes they're just not a good one. So grasping at straws is what we end up doing. But anyway, uh, let's slide down to Hattiesburg and talk with Bob. Bob, I appreciate you holding on. What's on, man? What's up? Good morning. Felder? Howdy.
6: Yes. I uh, I got a question. You may have covered before, uh, but I I don't I don't recall. Down here in the big city of Hattiesburg, all the landscapers when they do any kind of landscaping, they put down this landscape fabric, then they plant shrubs and everything, and then they cover it up with pine straw and mulch. What's your yeah. point of view on that fabric? And, and uh, to me, it, it seems that. The, the the natural decomposition of whatever you put around this mulch is not going to get through there and benefit anything and it's also gonna restrict water going through there.
2: But well those, you're those, exactly those right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I I I thoroughly understand the desire to prevent weeds and the erosion and all that kind of stuff. I understand the process behind the landscape fabric, the weed beer fabric, but from a horticulture point of view, if you try to produce a crop, but as a gardener and we deal with long-term stuff, putting that stuff down around shrubs is one of the worst things I could possibly imagine doing to my plants. You know, short-term crops, you know, horticulture crops. Yeah. You want to do that. But around landscapes, it is a seriously, uh, what's the nicest word I can think of. Uh, uh, I can't think of a nice enough word for it. Uh, But anyway, you're right, it keeps – when you mulch, it keeps worms from coming up at night eating the mulch and circulating it down around roots so you don't have all that, you know, the, the new holes for air and water and roots and nutrients. It, uh, and it really doesn't help with weeds. I mean, the worst weeds come right through it. So it's something that they do because it looks good. It looks professional. It looks horticultural. And for a couple of three years, it works fine. But after that, it is a horrible, horrible thing to do to roots that need that natural cycle of leaves and mulch being cycled into the soil by worms and bacteria and all that other stuff. So, uh, oh, I the word, the word I was thinking of counterintuitive. <laughs> It it doesn't make sense. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, my opinion is, as a gardener, is a horrible, horrible practice. My opinion as a horticulturist, you're growing a short-term crop, harvesting it, digging it up, planting something, putting it down again year after year after year. That makes sense, but in the home garden, it is a terrible thing to do to roots and soil and worms and all that biosphere that's, that's under the knee. It's a terrible thing.
6: It's it's almost universal around here. When Lance, when they do a new home, they'll put that stuff down, and, and, and it looks beautiful and, for a while. And, and, but uh, our house has some. Would you recommend just raking the the mulch out and then pulling all that up? That's probably what I should do.
2: That's the first thing. And by the way, the reason they do it is because the same reason people plant azaleas over and over and over. They see azaleas, they like them, they plant them. So more people see more, so they like them, they plant them. It becomes something that landscapers do partly because it's a profitable thing to do. You know, they get paid extra to do that. And it looks professional, but it is a terrible thing from a plant and a a biosphere point of view. It's a terrible thing. I would routinely pull it up or I would tell the landscapers, nope, just pull it up, don't put it down. And uh, so basically, going against what the green industry makes money off doing versus in the long term, what's good for our plants. So, anyway, that, to me, there's no all debate right. about it at all. It's a good ter- short term horticulture, terrible garden thing. I'd pull it up. Makes sense. Thank you very much. Okay. Appreciate it. Uh, Java. I kind of got my butt on my shoulder about that, didn't
1: I? Well, I, it's a good it's a good <laughs> point to make because you know it's one of those things as far as what what uh, people do for reasons, but it may not be as beneficial to you know no. production or the plants yeah. in general.
2: It just it's just not you know I run up against this, and, and what's really strange, and 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 uh, a lot of people don't. I'm not complaining here, but I have my feet on both sides of a fence. On horticulture says, do this. And I understand that I'm a trained university horticulture scientist. And I understand why they're saying do that. On the other hand, the garden says, ouch, that's not really a good thing to do. And I understand that because I'm lazy. I'm in it for the long term. So, um, if I say you don't need to use that stuff, the landscapers say, I'm an idiot, I don't know what I'm talking about. If I say, you really need to use that, I plants say, what the heck is this all about? It's, it's like watering <laughs> your grass every week. You know, Java, some people water the grass several times a week, uh, and nobody's watering the grass at your kid's school, and it looks fine. So if I say you ought to water it every week, my dad would have said, "Felder, you're an idiot. I don't, you know, you don't have to water grass. If I say you don't have to water grass, the horticulture people say, I'm dumb in horticulture down. So I have to kind of balance it with that. And by the way, speaking of something, in, uh, it to this, we got the lines open. If anybody wants to give us a call, Abram is back there in that booth. He's sort of scratching his head. He's reading his phone, whatever Abram does when he's not. Busy producing stuff, Uh, but Java is something that my my daughter brought up to me the other day. It's kind of funny because you know we have folk names for everything, no matter what it is somebody does. There's a common word for it, but Zoe pointed out that there's no folk word for the oldest beverage on earth. You know what I'm talking about?
1: No, please enlighten me.
2: (laughs) You know, this, this time of year we're all trying to stay hydrated. Uh, and we're all drinking water. Everybody knows about water, but nobody ever says sipping on some moist.
1: Some what?
2: <laughs> some moist. Yeah, there, there's not a there's not a folk word for water. It's just water. Uh, there's no, you know, nobody said sure could go for a cup of that clear, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or or old splash. Hey, give me give me some of that old splashy or whatever. <laughs>
1: Now that's I think we're taking things a little. <laughs> everything doesn't need a pet yeah, name.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know if you're going outside, you know you need to you need to stock up on some old splashy before you go out. Take some nice cold clear with you when you're going outside.
1: <laughs> I don't know old splashy cold clear. Then I don't know. We may yeah. have to, we may have to push the envelope on this one.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's that's what I'm saying. Say uh, uh Couple of that clear splash. What was the first thing? Oh, get, yeah, just give me, sipping on some moist. What you doing? I'm sipping on some moist.
1: Okay, Felder, we've, we've extended this break long enough. We have um, Edward on the road who wants to join the conversation.
2: Edward, good morning. How are you? Thank you for saving me and Jabba from ourselves.
4: Good morning, guys. How are you?
2: Fine. What's up?
4: Oh, was up? So the question I have, first of all, I love your show. I, I travel for work between Louisiana and, and Alabama during the week, and so uh, I'd love to get a chance to catch it on Friday. So, so thank you very much for having it. I thoroughly enjoy it. So I've got You're a question welcome. here. I, <laughs> great. So I've got some hydrangeas at home that I bought from, I think, one of the mass market stores, and they bloomed and looked pretty for about a month. Now they're still green. They're not dead. But they, they will refuse to bloom. So, so what do I need to do? Yeah. My wife tells me they're broken and I bought the wrong ones. So, what do I need to do?
2: <laughs> well, keep, keep in mind that that there's a must be a million opinions about this, and I just stick with what works for me. If people say, "Well, it's got to be in the shade," I see them growing out in the full sun. Uh, they say, "Well, they need to be, you know, uh, uh, planted shallow or whatever. They uh, need to water all the time." I see hydrangeas around old home sites and bad dirt, no water, nothing. They tend to wilt down during the daytime when it's really, really hot because they have big, flimsy leaves, and they, you know, they're not slick like, like uh, cannas or bananas. And so they'll, they'll wilt down as a pres- preservative thing, but then they perk back up in the evening. That's, that's natural. So answer your question, the three things that I would check on, make sure, first of all, that when you planted them, you dug a wide hole, a wide hole, uh, two, three feet across. That, that's crazy, but that's what it takes. Ooh. Second of all, you add a little bit of stuff to your dirt, not much, like about a handful of crackers to a bowl of chili. You know, just add a little stuff to your dirt to loosen it up. And then third, when you plant it, loosen up the potting soil and the roots to get it out of that, that bark, that that uh, container-shaped ball of bark. So loosen up the roots, help them get out of your native dirt as far as they can, as fast as they can, and then cover the ground with mulch. I prefer tree leaves or bark, or tree leaves topped with bark. And then just give them a really good soaking every week or two, a good soaking. That way their roots will grow quickly outward. And that's the key to get them strong and sturdy, which is the key to them blooming. If they're struggling, they're not going to bloom because flowers take a lot of energy. So, wide hole, little stuff, loosen up the roots, mulch, not too much water. And they may not bloom this first year, but they'll be bigger and bulkier, and they'll just really jump the next year. So, I hope that wasn't too much to throw on you while you drive it.
4: No, absolutely. No, thank you very much. I guess my question to realize that actually i haven't even taken them out of their containers they came in i think that's my first season oh
5: boy <laughs> i didn't
4: even I haven't transported them so i didn't realize i had to do that um, but thank you
2: well, well you, you don't have to do all that but if you want to get the most if you want to plant them and then walk away from them, they'll bloom for decades that's what you do um if they're not blooming in a pot um Make sure if you fertilizer washes away real fast in a pot, the more often you water. So you might want to use a little half-strength of some kind of good-quality potted plant food. I'm thinking miracle Grow or something like that. Half-strength, not full-strength. Whatever it says for a gallon of water, put that in two gallons of water. And then just water them regularly so that they don't stay dry when they get dry out. And that's about all you can do. But they'll actually do better in the ground.
4: Okay, thank you. I've got one more question, real quick. Does the rose, if, if, like at the stores, they sell like rose feed or feed for roses? Is that only for roses, or can I use that for other plants, other flowers?
2: No, you you can you can use that for anything. I mean, they come up with okay. it's like okay. different brands of it's like different brands of ketchup. You know, yeah, they're gonna somebody's gonna come up with one called burger sauce. It's just ketchup. So no, any kind of flower okay. and plant food will work fine, but use it at half the recommended strength. We want to, we want to keep them supplied with nutrients. We don't want to push them in this much heat and humidity. We don't want to push them too much right now.
4: Well, thank you very much. I've got a degree from uh, agriculture economics from LSU and I know nothing <laughs> about any of them. So
2: thank you very much. <laughs> okay, appreciate it. Thank you for Thanks. your call, man. Right, okay, Java. He, he saved us from our, uh, from our um, uh, thing about give me some old splash, sip on like some moist type of thing. <laughs> some old splashy. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on the Mississippi Gardening uh, Facebook page. And I know a lot of people say, I don't do social media. Well, folks, I don't either. I, I, I do not, I, you know, there's not there's not a fellow rushing Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. But I do spend a lot of time helping moderate the Mississippi Gardening Facebook. It's safe. Nobody is allowed to join without having to agree. First of all, you're going to be nice, you know, just be nice. If you don't want to prune your plants, don't tell other people they can't prune, you know, that kind of thing. But there's also, there's a lot of horticulturists on there. Uh, Bob Bruzak from Mississippi State, uh, Carol Reese from from, uh, University of Tennessee, Uh, Gary Bachman is on there. There's uh, there's retired extension agents. There's uh, Alan Owens from LSU. There's a lot of people on there, and they're just talking gardening. Not horticulture, but gardening. So there's a lot of people that sort of camp down on all the weirdnesses out there. So if you are interested in, in just joining a group of folks who like to show pictures of their grandkids or their or their hummingbirds or, you know, playing in the garden, Mississippi Gardening on Facebook. It's a safe site. And it uh, doesn't cost a thing to join. It's just got to be nice because if you don't, you're going to get warned. So... Anyway, uh, we've got the lines open, and I think we've got time. If anybody wants to squeeze another call, call or two. Yeah, let's
1: actually go um, to uh, Mike and Hernando, um, if you're ready, Felder. Oh,
2: I see that now. You sent that to me. Thank you, Java. Let's go up to Hernan Mike, what's going on, man? Howdy.
4: Morning, Felder. Uh, question, please. I grew up out west, and just a few minutes ago you were talking about watering yards and stuff like that, and I built my house here eight years ago in Hernando, had a beautiful lawn put in. I have never watered it, and it stays gorgeous green. I mean, is that natural to the south, uh, or should I be watering
2: it? Because it, it, it's a beautiful yard. That's a really good question. Uh, uh, my, And here's what the bottom line is you do not have to water your lawn in Mississippi, but in the heat of the summer, if it's really dry, it will go dormant. It'll turn brown. It'll green back up after rain, but while it's shut down, it's temporarily not replacing itself with new growth, and sometimes that leads oh. to weeds. So, the, From the grass's point of view, it needs a good deep soaking at least once a month from rain oh. or otherwise. Every three weeks would be better, uh, but more than oh. once a week is actually counterintuitive. So a good deep soaking every three or four weeks if we don't get without rain, you'll have a better quality lawn and it won't shut. See grass doesn't we're not keeping grass alive. What we're trying to do is help grass replace itself with new growth and there's a complete turnover out there about once a month. So what you had in June is gone by August. It's replaced itself. So we're watering and fertilizing to help it put out healthy new grass that's also deep rooted. So every three or four weeks uh, is great.
4: Well, I, I, the reason I asked was I, uh, every August I watch, cause I know that's the hottest month and it, it my nose has looked really pretty. I mean, it's got, it doesn't have shade trees over it or anything, but it stays gorgeous green. And I thought maybe this is magic grass or something. Cause I'm used to growing up <laughs> out west where if you didn't, if you didn't water it, it'd be dead at the end of the week, you know?
2: That's right. But see, but see, we, we also have a different kind of grass here, but apparently you got really good dirt. So your grass is able to get good deep roots. And once it got good deep oh. roots. It can keep replacing those, but in a bad dirt or water too much, uh, it's it's more dependent on a little water. So sounds like, you know, at gotcha. least once, if we go a month without rain, water it, not to keep it green, but to help it be a green a month later.
4: Oh, good point. It's I will proactive. do that. Thanks for that
2: tip. Appreciate it. Okay, man. You bet. Thank you. And mm-hmm. uh, we got time to go to Craig in Biloxi.
1: Real quick, man. Let's slide him in.
2: Craig, what's up, man? Yeah, I was wondering uh, if there's any good, strong uh,
4: bamboo that would grow in Florida, and I'd like to throw out uh, Mountain
2: Dew or the Dew Drop In for your water, folksy water. (laughs) Okay, okay, (laughs) those are great ones. To answer your question, first of all, any bamboo will do well on the coast. Further north you go, the fewer options you. The clump forming bamboos don't grow well in North Mississippi, but down on in uh, down on the coast, you can grow almost any kind of bamboo. As long as you understand that some of the running kind are going to cause problems with your neighbors, but uh, almost all the bamboo is too great along the Gulf Coast.
4: All right, thank you. I heard it's stronger than steel per week.
2: Yeah, it, yeah is yeah. what I got. Okay, thank there you, you. go. Uh, uh, thank you, Craig. Okay, Java. Man, we we knocked a bunch of stuff out today. I'm Horticulture's Felda Rushing, and me and Java and uh, Abram and all the other folks at Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We appreciate you. We appreciate you supporting us through the year. Uh, but every Friday morning, we broadcast on Saturday, and on the podcast, we're talking about gardening. So if you have some things you want to chat about, shoot us a line and give us a call. Meanwhile, if you got kids or if you don't have kids, you got neighbors, go to a farmer's market. Garden centers have got plenty of stuff to get geared up for fall. We can still plant tomatoes and peppers and stuff like that, marigolds. But go to a garden center, show kids how to do what we do best, and that's get dirty. Y'all have a good week. See you next week.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.